All right, welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, your one-stop shop for all your boxing needs. We have an array of topics we discuss weekly. We touch on topics such as recaps, previews, promoters, and fighters if they have controversial comments, upcoming prospects, top 10 lists, hypothetical matchups, and fighters we like to see. My name is Wilton Henry. My name is Daniel and My Lee. name is Lavelle Jackson. Also, you can catch us on YouTube uh, if you want to just get different segments of our podcast. You know, just search Last Ones at the Bar. Make sure that you hit the like button. And most importantly, definitely hit that subscribe button to get the um, get notified on, you know, when new things drop. We're also working on um, a Twitter account as well as an IG account. So stay tuned for that. Uh, fellas, I think we've got a lot of topics that we're going to touch on today. So I think we probably need to skip the intros and get straight to the info. And so let's go start with the, the main event yesterday, the big fight between Canelo and uh, Caleb Smith. What did you guys think of the fight last night? Saul Canelo Alvarez versus Callum Smith. The funniest thing about this fight is we kind of predicted the way it was going to go. And as, when the fight started getting closer and closer, we saw two guys together. I saw the size disparity, and I was like, hmm, this might play out in a different way. I mean, it was literally like, am I watching Rocky IV or something? <laughs> Is this the Russian? Um, but the way it played out, man, Canelo, I mean, his, his jab was working. Uh, it was interesting to see, you know, a shorter man with a, a, a better jab, a snappy jab. Um, he, he, his body punches was on point. It was almost like watching uh, Bane beat up Batman in, in the Dark Knight movies. <laughs> the body shots was like hurting me. I was like, oh. Um, but it, it was a good fight for Canelo. I mean, he beat the – he was considered the man at 168. I mean, Callum Smith does have – the ring title. Um, we had the ring title, uh, even though he isn't probably the best at 168. He's the one with who was actually looked at as the man. Um, and Canelo did pretty much what he wanted to do. Um, the commentary was interesting because they were talking about how uh, there was a voice uh, commenting saying that Callum Smith did not want to win, not, and we'll get to that voice later. Um, but I'm not sure that that was the case. Uh, he was outgunned. I mean, Canelo looks, you could tell that Canelo, you know, sparred with heavyweights. It came out uh, as we were watching the fight. And Canelo is going to be hard to beat um, by some of those guys. And I'm excited to see, you know, where he goes at 168. The Canelo and Callum Smith fight. Man, that was that was a pretty awesome display of, I mean, by Canelo Alvarez. And before I even give my breakdown of what I saw, Danny, shout out to you because that was a really good breakdown that you did, um, that you you uh, supplied us with on YouTube yesterday. So shout out to you for that. Um, as far as as far as what I saw, yes, sir. And also shout out to the hologram Michael Buffer. That was cool to see him say, "Let's get ready to rumble." You know, when they had him featured as a hologram. Um, but Canelo, I'm, I'm just going to say this, you know, Canelo's that dude. You know, it sounds kind of nice, so I'm going to say it twice. Canelo is that dude. When the first round started, like you said, Vail, you saw the crazy height differential. Canelo from round one, he was stalking. 
Um, and then one of the things that I was thinking about, I said, how does Callum Smith make 168 as tall as he is? And, you know, he, he's really he's kind of big, too. And so um, but Canelo, he was just, you know, it was a filling out first round. Smith, second round was trying to box a little bit. Canelo continued to stalk him. Smith was showing a lot of respect to Canelo. Um, Canelo, by the third round, started to find his range and rhythm. Fourth round, Smith started some good work, but Canelo wasn't having it. He returned fire. That's that, when it got to the fourth round, I was like, Canelo cold. Man. Like, this is a cold dude. And um, moving forward, fifth round, and he was just showing that his levels to this. You know what I mean? You can be the number one fighter in a division, but Canelo was like, I'm the pound for pound fighter. It's, it's, it's a different level than I am from you, Mr. Smith. And Canelo wasn't playing around seventh round, you know, landing huge uppercuts, round eight. Again, Canelo was a bad boy. He hurt Smith. Um, same thing, round eight, you know, he was touching him up. Uh, but round nine, I was like, Canelo is, is back focused and, and he's remembering his ultimate goal, you know what I mean, of, of trying to take out the whole Smith family. And then, uh, I mean, round 10, it was just a beat. And then round 12, by the time he got to round 12, you know, Smith was in survival mode. Um, but based on what I see, Canelo is not going to lose anytime soon. You know, and as I stated that it's different levels. Like Canelo is a, not only is it pound for pound um, guy, but he's also, you can tell he's a superstar level. He's a pay-per-view level fighter, you know? And like I said, he can fight. And to me right now, he's the best in the world. And I don't even think it's even close. Like with that display that he put on yesterday, it's like the gap between number one and number two pound for pound fighter is is, is just a huge gap, um, huge gap. And then, you know, I, I like Canelo. Canelo's an arrogant dude. And so, you know, he's the pride of Mexico. Y'all got one. And shout out to Canelo, man. Like I said, he, he's, a, he's a bad boy. Really, even though he was in survivor mode towards the end, not every fighter would have fought that out the way that he did. So shout out to both fighters. Much respect. That said, um, I personally scored it uh, 119-110 Canelo, as did two of the other judges. Um, Smith, he looked to establish that jab early, but you know it became clear that Canelo didn't really respect his power and basically spent the rest of the fight walking him down. Um and he kind of, you, you kind of saw how he gradually like unlocked more and more of his arsenal. Because by the seventh or eighth round, he was throwing some pretty deadly uppercuts that uh, bloody Smith knows pretty badly. And um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but towards in between those those rounds later in the fight, Canelo wasn't even sitting down no more. He just, like in between rounds, he just stood up, and so by the end. He was looking like he was ready to go ahead and take on the third Smith brother, like right then and there, like bring the other one in the ring. You know what I mean? But um, again, respect to Smith. This is more of an indication to me of how good Canelo is than any slight on Smith. Um, Smith is very, he's a very accomplished fighter at super middleweight. He's not that far removed from winning the world boxing super series. Canelo just different. That's all you can really say at this point, you know? Um, so speak of the devil, where, where does he go from here? You know, he's four division world champ now. Um, the man at 160, the man at 168, um, one of the men at 175, all of which he can still reasonably make. So what do you guys, what do you guys see for his future? 
I think Canelo at this point really can do what he wants to do. A couple of things that I wanted to mention that I forgot to say was that, you know, throughout that fight, one thing that stood out to me is that although Canelo was stalking Smith throughout the fight, he's able to stay defensively responsible as he, you know, stalks and, and walks down his opponent. But at this point, he's earned his right, man, to be able to pick fights where he's going to choose the opponent that's going to be the most lucrative for him. He's put in the work. So, you know, taking on a Smith, that challenge, like you say, a guy who was considered the number one guy at super middleweight and to put on a performance like that. Come on, man, you earn the right. These other guys, and I heard Demetrius Andre, not yesterday. He made some comments yesterday that didn't make sense to me when he was saying that, well, Canelo, you need to fight me. No, sir, you need to fight somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, make it where people demand that Canelo chooses you. You know, you can't have that guy do all of the heavy lifting. And then it's like, well, why you didn't fight me? But he's fighting somebody that you probably couldn't beat. So it just didn't make sense. Um, but like I say, Canelo's masterful. Um, what I would do if I was him is I would, I mean, he he can take on, Canelo's not going to lose anytime soon. It, he's 30 years old, maybe around 32-ish. He's to the point now where when your skill matches your wit. So it's certain things that he probably can tell you he's going to do, and it just comes so naturally, and he'll go inside the ring, and whatever it is he plan on doing, he can do it. You know, he's 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 reached that level where his, like I say, his talent and his wit, like they ride on par with each other. It, that spells trouble for like the 168-pound division and then the 160-pound division. The only guy that I see that could give him trouble, but I wouldn't know, it wouldn't make sense for him to fight him because it wouldn't be really a lucrative matchup would be Bivol because Bivol has the ability to fight at 175 and 168. And Bivol is one of those guys. He's an accomplished amateur, um, very accurate with his punches. And I think that he would be able to take what Canelo delivers. So that would be the only matchup that I see that I probably would favor somebody over Canelo or is very close. Um, if I was him, I would maximize where I am. You're at the height of your powers, Canelo. So go ahead and take that Charlo fight. Um, you can also now, I wouldn't mind the Spence fight now. You the cash cow. Spence looked very good in his fight against Garcia. So if y'all wanted to make that fight, you know, that would be something special, especially in the state of Texas. It's a huge event. You know, once COVID is over, you'll sell out that stadium. And then the other thing that I would do is I'd go ahead and dust off Golovkin, you know, put him out of his misery. But those are the things that I would I would do um, if I was Canelo. I'll start out by saying that I've been a critic before of how he can sometimes cherry pick, um, you know, like it, the timing at which he fought Cotto was, you know, you could argue he fought him at the intel end. Even the timing when he first fought, was well, the first and second fight were for Triple G. You know, but you can't make those arguments for him anymore. You know, he's fighting the best and he's looking very good against him. So, um, yeah, he can do what he wants. I, I think that the Triple G fight will probably generate the most revenue. But I personally, I personally think he would put Triple G to sleep at this point in, in both of their respective careers. Um, the Charlo fight would also be a big revenue generator, especially post COVID. But, um, you know, the problem there is. Uh, Eddie Reynoso, his trainer, has already said that he needs time to make it to 160. 
unless Charlo is really willing to move up to 168. Um, but that would be a big one, although I think he would beat Charlo as well. Um, if he wants to unify as super middleweight, he could conceivably fight Plant or Billy Joe Sanders, who he's rumored to fight early on in the year. Uh, but I think he beat both of them too. So, you know, most of the fight, most of the fighters he would fight would kind of be more so for, for the cash and for the hype and for the excitement, unless he wants to really dare to be great, in which case he could go for a bivvle, like you said. Um, or if he even wanted to go for, I wouldn't recommend it, but if he even wanted to go for better BF, he, he could try that. But um, there's not a whole lot of upside to, to trying at, at this point in his career, especially when you're calling the shots. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Uh, Canelo at this point could pretty much do whatever he wants. Uh, he pretty much beat the man at 168. Um, even if you don't think that COVID, officially the man at 175, uh, you you got to admit, uh, for someone who fought at 140 to go up and, and beat Kovalev like that, it's still impressive. So Canelo at this point can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, obviously, a lot of people... Uh, we all want to see him versus Charlo. It's, it's interesting because this win actually kind of puts a damper on that a little bit. Even though I want to see it, of course, I don't think Charlo will fare well against uh, the the Canelo that I saw yesterday. I think Canelo will be too much for uh, just about anyone at one sixty at this point. It's, I mean, he's naturally growing into like a one sixty eight pounder and a short one, and he's very stocky. He's very muscular. Um, like I said earlier, he uh, currently spars with you know heavyweights, and you know that's a big thing. Uh, I don't, I don't, th- I don't see anyone at 160 really hurting him like that. Um, but at the same time, you know there there was uh, that rant yesterday from uh, Demetrius Andre. Um, if you haven't heard it, Google it. Uh, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, it was interesting to hear. I didn't know that DeAndre, Demetrius Andre, I didn't know he talked. <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, if you heard this podcast any amount of time, you know, great public speaker. I'm not an English major. But this guy, Andre, I should hire him, you know, to do my meetings for me. I mean, this guy, I didn't know he had a microphone like that. Demetrius Andre, if you listen to this, talk more. If you want to fight Sure, like Will said, you want you should get some big fights. But if you're having trouble, if you think the people are ducking you, keep on talking. Don't shut up, Demetrius Andre. Keep talking, because what what you said, whether I agree or disagree with it, it was golden. Uh, so with that said, uh, Canelo fought a good fight um, with Billy, with uh, Canelo fought a good fight with Callum Smith. A shout out to Smith. He fought his heart out. Um, but that begs the question, you know, where does uh, Callum Smith go from here? You know, what do you guys think? Once again, I don't want to minimize. I, I think it's easy to write him off based on what you saw yesterday. But I think it was just a matter of, again, I don't think it was indicative of of where he's at. I think that uh, Smith is still very capable of having competitive fights at super middleweight. Once again, he's not that far removed from from winning the World Boxing Super Series. 
though, um, he could. I could see him ultimately maybe challenging Plant or Billy Joe Sanders, you know, as well, depending on what Canelo wants to do. Um, David Benavidez is still out there, assuming he can still make the weight. Um, and so, you know, I still consider him an elite at the division, at the weight class. Um, so really, it's really up to the timing in which these other fighters uh, kind of do their thing. So, you know, you have Caleb Plant who's fighting, uh, you know, a month out. Um, so I, I could see him going for, for some sort of title eliminator and once again fighting for a world title in 2021. Again, uh, shout out to Callum Smith. Uh, what I don't want is for you know people to write him off and think that uh, he doesn't uh, have a place at 168 anymore. Of course, that was a, a brutal beating he took, but at the same time, uh, it's more testament to Canelo because we know that Canelo is a, a special fighter. Um, but what I don't want is for what used to happen with you know the opponents of. Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao before him is that when someone loses to a special fighter, they write him off and say that, you know, they're done or they should retire or they should quit or they can't beat anyone else at that weight. I think Callum Smith still has, you know, some things that can still trouble a lot of guys in 158 who haven't, you know, had those particular tests. You know, you have, uh, you know, Caleb Plant, you still have, um, uh, Billy Joe Saunders is still there. I think Callum Smith may even be favorable over Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, 168 division is, is, is still pretty good. And even if Callum Smith can't uh, beat those guys at 158, he's still in the picture as far as being able to get fights. And I don't think he's totally outgunned against those guys, you know, given his size and really the chin that he showed yesterday. Well, I must be one of those guys that's writing them off. Um, Kellen Smith, when I look at his resume, he, I mean, he won a super six. I'll give him that, but he hasn't really faced any elite guys. I'm just saying like any top 168 pounders, you know, when I look, he fought Groves, but Groves was past it. Um, the end down fight and the other guys that you see on his resume, they're just not really recognizable names at all. To me, he just looked like a guy at the high, you know, at the elite level. I just don't think he has. I think if you put him in front of a guy who is there to be hit and it's a certain range that he fights at, that he's going to look good against that type of opponent. But with his size, he doesn't like if he was able to box from the outside more then I can see if that was part of his game. And Canelo just took advantage of the places that he likes to throw. That's where Canelo is just phenomenal. Like, that's his game. So he was in in for it because he's fighting somebody, a caliber opponent that he never fought nowhere near that level. And so once he had some resistance, he didn't look so well. And I don't see him. The other thing is, is he having trouble making 168? Because when I was looking at him in the press conferences, he looked, his face looked, they're really drawn in. Now, it could have been the fact that when they announced the fight, it was so quick, it was such a quick turnaround. Canelo could have already been ready to fight and knew he was going to fight one of those guys 
and was already preparing. And then once they end up getting that call from Canelo, he said, yeah, I'm going to take this fight. But he didn't really have a proper training camp. So I don't know if that played a factor in it, too. You guys, if you are 160, 168, and even a 175-pound fighter, make sure for these next few years that you stay in shape because Canelo, I think that's his game plan now. Like it used to be, well, I'm going to make you come down to 150, um, a catch weight, 155 or something like that for junior middleweight. Then it got to be where it's like a clause that he'll put in there. But again, he's the cash cow, so he can make some of those um, stipulations inside his contracts. But in terms of Callum Smith, it was such a quick turnaround. I don't know if he was able to get prepared. But if it wasn't anything like that, I don't know um, where he's going to go in terms of being able to win a title against one of those elite guys like a Benavidez, like a plant. I think right now that would be food for them um, fighting Callum Smith. Because, again, I, I don't see anybody on his resume that he's he's defeated. Um, so um, he had a good run. You know, maybe he, he can go up to 175, but – because at 175, better be if is 35, Kovalev is 37. And then Bivol, like I said, he he said he can go to 168 or 175. So it's still some room there at 175. So maybe he might decide to go ahead and move up. But I don't know if the skills there to be able to compete at the highest level, though. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward. Also this weekend, we had old Gennady Golovkin. Uh, first of all, did you guys see the fight? If you did, what did you think about, quote, unquote, Triple G's performance on Friday night? Yeah, I saw the fight. Um, it wasn't much to, to see or not much to say about it. You know, the guy was pretty much outmatched, outgunned. Um, he didn't have power. He only had five KOs, and I think there's a reason why he was chosen. Uh, but Kubrick pretty much did what he wanted. Um, I mean, he put on a good display. I, I, it's things you can see, like his jab was working and, and things like that. And, you know, uh, his power is still a little bit there for a guy, you know, and nobody. But even then, I know why to this, up to this point, he was undefeated and never been stopped. But, you know, uh, it wasn't much to, to, to see. You know, hopefully she chooses a better opponent uh, next fight. Yeah, it was Triple G's. They say it was a mandatory, um, you know, versus Sharametta. Now, when the fight started, my breakdown was the fight started, you know, Triple G came out wearing a LeBron James uh, Laker purple and gold. You know, I said, look at old, old, old Triple G, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he came out first round. He landed some <laughs> stiff jabs. Towards the end, he caught a share meta with a hook that dropped him. So he knocked him down the first round, 10-8 rounds. Second round, more power jabs, occasional right hands. And every time Triple G would land solidly, it was repercussions for share meta. Round two, another knockdown, overhand right, delayed reaction. He went down, landed some more uppercuts. Um, and then you can just tell share meta just didn't have the power to – keep triple g away um more the same in the third round just no knockdowns round four uh triple g you know he was getting hit a little bit more but you know it's no pop and share metas punches you know left uppercut is another knockdown in round four so it's just getting bad for his opponent 
you know, I was hoping that they, you know, consider stopping the fight because it wasn't any way that he was going to win that fight. He didn't have any power to just, you know, do anything with Triple G. Round five came around. By that time, Triple G leaping in without a care. And then he was even slipping and sliding a little bit. He was feeling good around round five. Um, round six, that was the best round for Shira Meta. And I still don't know if he won it um, because Triple G started landing like towards the end of the round, some uppercuts and some more power shots. Round seven, stiff jabs, um, push Shira Meta down um, once again. Nothing behind Shira Meta's punches. I mean, you just can tell it's just the deficiency that he had. Um, and eventually, Shira Meta didn't come out for, I want to say, the, after round seven. And so my takeaways from the fight, you know, Triple G got some good rounds in after a long layoff. Um, he looked to be in really good shape. That's probably the best shape I've seen him in. You know, he still looks like one of the best middleweights, you know. But some of the girls, he still get hits a little bit too much. And I know that they always say, well, he lets his opponents hit him. Like, I, he don't do that. He's not letting you do anything. It's just the fact that that's, he has a deficiency in his, his defense. And sometimes you can tell that he's, he's he's just wide open. You know, if he's fighting a puncher, that's why I say Canelo, it looked like he had just put Triple G to sleep, you know, at this particular point. And then it also, it, it just confirmed to me, like I said, he looks like one of the better middleweights. But at the same time, he's not at this point in his career. I don't see him beating a Charlo, Andrade, or a Canelo. Now, this is another thing that I want to mention. This always comes in the case. Like when I watch Triple G, really, if I can just watch him with the sound off, I kind of like Triple G. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a cool, charming, you know, guy. You know, like I say, had the Lakers stuff on. I was like, man, is he trying to be the, you know, that Lakers might you know, need a two guard or something, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But, you know, he, he seemed like a cool guy. But here, here's some of the things that bother me. They always, like, say little stuff where they try to say little deceitful things. Uh, he's, it's the 21st title defense. You know, he's beat Bernard Hopkins. But the only problem with that is that Hopkins did had 20 consecutive <laughs> title defenses. You know what I'm saying? Like, they typically don't add on after you lose your title to – your defenses you know and so that's 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 all i'm saying you know like i said i like triple g but at the same time as fans and and some of the announcers you know when they do those deceitful things it just gets annoying but it was a solid win if you just look at it through the lens of him getting some work in after a long layoff it's funny you said that because i was going to point out how they pointed that out about the 20 the 21st uh successful title defense but um but yeah he did exactly what i thought he would do um sort of had his way uh you could i got the sense that he probably could have stopped him earlier but chose not to um old triple g probably would have got him out of there pretty quickly so i don't know if this was a matter of wanting to get some rounds in or if this was a matter of 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 you know what but um it definitely didn't have to last as long as it did um, the interesting thing to note is by the time he fights again, he'll be 39. And he has three more fights on his deal with the zone. And so, uh, like you guys said, he's not who he used to be. But he's still an elite middleweight. And although I don't think he will beat these guys, I hope that by the end of those three fights on his zone deal, uh, which in theory he would probably retire after that, 
I hope that he would have fought an Andre or Charlo. That way we can learn, you know, what we would like to learn about either of those respective fighters. Because, you know, we still don't know much about Andre at this level. Um, Triple G up to this point, as as the 38-year-old Triple G, has not really been tested since the Derbyanchenko fight. And so, um, and you know, it, it would kind of be Charlo's first step up at the elite level. So um, I would just like to see it, if nothing else, the the entry to see how they would react to Triple G's power. Um, so it would be interesting to, to see, I believe. So we also had uh, Gilberto Ramirez, who fought Alfonso Lopez. Okay. Um, yeah, what did you have on so that one? Gilberto, this is like really the first time I, I checked out Gilberto, like a whole fight of his. I've seen him, highlights of him fighting that same opponent that David Benavidez fought in September. And I saw some highlights of him against another opponent um, as well. But, you know, when, when I checked him out, he's 42-0 and with 26 knockouts. Um, he fights out of left hand stands, 29 years old. So he's in his physical prime, six, two and a half. He just moved up to like heavyweight from super middleweight. His opponent, Alfonso Lopez, was uh, 32 and three. Um, pretty good fighter. And he was fighting for an NABF regional belt at light heavyweight. So as when the fight started round one, uh, uh, Ramirez landed some, you know, one twos, uppercuts. You know, Lopez was circling to his to his right, which you really don't want to do against a lefty. And so that I was I noticed that that I was thinking that Ramirez would be able to get off. Also, when you look at Ramirez, this is a guy who is this is he's a world class fighter. You know, it's sometimes when you see guys, you just know a world class fighter based on the way they throw their combinations, the way they get out of out of the way of punches, and with the way they set their stuff up. It's like. Jorge Linares, not to say he's the greatest in the world, but if you see Jorge Linares, you know that that's a skilled guy. Like, that's a world-class fighter that you're facing. And so that's the first thing that you'll notice about Gilberto Ramirez. R- round two, nice combos. You know, he landed a right hand and he knocked down Lopez in the second round. So I gave him that round 10-8. Round three, that's when uh, they call him Zerto. He went back to the ropes. Lopez started landing a few more punches. Um, then towards the end of the round, Zerto um, turned the tide. And he started turning up, throwing some heavy shots at the end of the round. Round four, um, his opponent started swelling up. You know, more and more good action, just better stuff from, from Zerto. And so out of those first four rounds, I, I, I just it's another one of those fights that was good, but at the same time, it's just, a, you know, it's levels to it. And Zerto just did enough in most of the rounds or he just won the round, you know, outright. Round five, um, more right hands. Um, he's just busy, big right hands. He's, again, you can just see the world-class fighter, you know, just the way he's throwing his punches. Punches um, start to accumulate on Lopez. Lopez started to look a little bit fatigued in round five. Round six, more big right hands. And then you can tell at that time that Ramirez started to, you know, he, he got Lopez's timing down. And so as soon as he would throw a shot, he would have counters, you know, just waiting for him. Just more world-class stuff out of Lopez in round six. Round seven, Ramirez just starts stalking his opponent. More straight punches, round eight. Uh, Lopez started landing. That was a really good round. That's up there, like, as far as one of the rounds of the year. You know, good action from both guys. 
round nine, uh, Ramirez still stalking, pressing the action, more combos. You know, he's began to score at will. And then round 10, Lopez, he they were thinking about stopping the fight. He was it was accumulation of punches that was just getting to him. And you can tell that it was just um, you know, it, it was getting to him. You know, just like I said, an accumulation of punches. And so the doctor came in and was thinking about stopping the fight. He begged him not to. But then Zerto ended up landing like a huge combination on him. It was a gallant effort by Lopez, but it just wasn't enough. Their huge right hand putting down, and that was all she wrote. So the referee ended up stopping the fight. So some of the glows that I got out of this is that Zerto, he won an NABF belt, you know, may have to fight Joe Smith next. I think that that's what they're shooting for. Also, when you think about the light heavyweight division, he's a skilled guy. He's he's a very skilled guy. He's gonna be a tough out for anybody that he faces. Even now, like if you fight a better B, if that's a good fight um, for both of those guys, it, it'll be a very interesting fight between both guys. And you know, he has good speed. You know, it's a certain range that he fights at, and he throws a lot of straight punches. You know, has nice feints, and he doesn't waste any punches either. Um, so he does a lot of high quality professional stuff. You know, I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. Um, and then you also got to think about the light heavyweight division, as I stated before, and referencing Callum Smith, is that the top guys, with the exception of Bivol, are old. You know what I mean? I, how long will better be be able to fight at the elite level? He's already 35. And like I say, Kovalev is 37. So those guys are on their way out. So it's going to be some new blood that's going to take over in a light heavyweight division. And I think that Zordo. It's right there with those top elite guys. But it's a good fight, good stuff. If you haven't seen it, check that out. Yeah, we'll do. Right? I, like I said, I didn't actually uh, see that fight. It was a lot of boxing going on this weekend. You know, life caught up to me. Uh, but I will actually check that out. You know, uh, shouts out to Gilberto Ramirez. I uh, hope to see more of them. Um, now, there was a, uh, another fight that happened yesterday. Uh, it involved... Um, a former fighter who used to, who was once highly regarded, a highly regarded middleweight, uh, Sergio Martinez. Uh, he fought uh, Jesse Cavula. Um, and how how do you guys, if you saw the, that fight, how do you guys, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? So um, I didn't personally do a round-by-round round breakdown for this one, but um, I did watch it after the fact. And... Um, you know, he stopped He stopped him in the ninth round due to a cut over the left eye. Caught him pretty good on several occasions. And, and for what I saw, you know, I, I did see flashes of old surge in spots. But, you know, clearly he's not the same at age 45. And I can't even say that it's because of his knee because, you know, his knee was a, sort of a nagging injury for him at the tail end, tail end of his career. It was more so just the age. But, however, um, he still clearly loves to fight. So um, I enjoyed it. It was an entertaining fight for what it was. It was still good to see. You know, you hate to see fighters that you were a fan of, you know, still try to do it when a- after they kind of lost it and they end up, you know, suffering brutal knockouts. You hate to see that. So it was good to see him fighting at a level that was comfortable for him and still looking good overall. And, you know, for a guy that still has a fight, Maybe he'll still continue to make fights like this for himself on his promotional banner. Uh, maybe he'll call it. I don't know. But, um, you know, it was good to just see him back in action. 
Yeah, um, it was an entertaining fight to watch, uh, given that Sergio Martinez, who I was a big fan of, uh, he's now 45. And he looked just like a 45-year-old Sergio Martinez. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, because most uh, fighters at the age of 45, they can't even do what he does. You know, um, he still fought the same. He didn't really change his style too much. It's not like he transitioned into more of a boxer. He still, you know, fights with his hands down and, and still tries to use his legs to get, a, you know, get away. Uh, still fires off those fast combinations. Um, and just Jesse Kabula um, just wasn't the, the guy that could, you know, pretty much end Sergio Martinez's career because had Jesse Kaluba, Kabula won, I mean, that would have been the end of Sergio Martinez. We wouldn't, we wouldn't hear from him anymore. But I did find it interesting that at 45, uh, Sergio still could do those things. And most importantly, which is interesting, he still could make 160. You know, fighters at 45 year old, at 45 years of age, normally can't make the same weight that they fought at. Normally, they they get to that age and they get to that stage where they they're tired of fighting and they start blowing up more between fights and you know gaining a little more weight. Um, to to even give a comparison, by the age of 35, Fernando Vargas, you know, could barely make you know 168. So. Sergio Martinez, whatever he's doing conditioning-wise, I mean, it's interesting. But, um, you know, again, if, if he, wants to, he wants to fight, he wants to earn a living, he has that right. Uh, I just don't want to see him get hurt, of course, but he does have that right. Yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much made all of the points that I was going to make. And like I said, I'm a stickler for not repeating what other people say. But one thing I will say is this, is that Sergio, you know, if you watch the fight, first thing you're going to notice, you're going to be like, that's a 45-year-old man out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he looks just like Serge. I don't know how <laughs> the boxing scene is out there in Spain. So they might not too much care about Sergio fighting elite fighters, and they just want to see him out there, you know, because he's one of their own. So if that's the case, you know, I, I'm sure he can keep doing that against that type of opponent, you know, who doesn't hit hard and is, you know, at not a high level um, guy. So, you know, if they like it, I love it. And, you know, more power to Sergio and his, his promotional company. Um, hopefully that does well. Hopefully they get some, you know, big fights, you know, underneath his banner. But that's that's all I have to say about that. But let's go ahead and move on to our next topic is about Jerron Ennis. Uh, what do you think of the Chris um, Hurden versus Jerron Ennis about took place on Showtime's undercard last night? Hmm. This fight was about to turn out to be a firecracker for Jerron Ennis. Um, but then that headbutt happened. And that headbutt took, <laughs> took a chunk out of Van Hurden's head. You know, it was very ugly to see, you know. And it kind of, and I was kind of mad about it because it robbed Jerron Ennis of, of a pretty good victory that was going to happen. I mean, by the second round, it looked looked like he was going to stop Van Heerden, and it was going to be pretty bad. You know, Jerron Ennis looked sharp. I mean, he looked vicious, um, and he looked ready. He he looked ready to step up, and that's the one thing I I, I kind of don't like about outcomes like this is that he doesn't get that victory. So it's kind of like 
It's like he, he gets the victory because we saw what was happening, but officially he doesn't. And this is the time if he wants to fight for a world title, this is the time to you know step up. So it was good while it lasted. Um, I'm still high on Jerron Ennis. Uh, if you haven't seen him, uh, see him before he uh, come up in the game. We don't want to say we told you so about him. I mean, do you guys want to tell him or, or should I? You got this one. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Jerron, he, he's nice. He's nice with it, as they say in Dallas. Uh, you know, you got some hands, right? But, I mean, what are we doing with that nickname, Boots? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm not feeling that name, man. Like, I can't get jiggy with Boots, man. Like, it's it's hard to, you know? And, Jerron, I got some suggestions for you. I got a few suggestions. And, and holla at me, man. I'm from Milwaukee. That's what we do. We give everybody nicknames. You know what I'm saying? So, you have to go with something to me that's a little bit more slick, a little bit more catchy, like, Jerron the Don, you know what I'm saying? Like that—that's that's a good name right there for you. you know? Shout out to Boots, man. Shout out to Boots. You know, man, man, I'm still high on you. No, he—he's talented. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm—I got one more suggestion for him. But I can sit down with him just based on his 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 personality. You know, come up with a nickname that's most suitable to him. But here's another one just for you, just to think about. Jerron, he mean business, Ennis. You know what I'm saying? Like something like that. Like this boots thing. I don't know. What are you trying to get like a a, a deal with, with Timberland or something, bro? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. But anyway, as far as the fight is concerned, you know, Jerome was walking him down. Nice body shots, quick combos. You know, then like you say, you had to clash of heads. Like he was on to a nice performance, a huge victory. I just don't know. Like, again, he's one of those guys that I think that and, and probably Delore may would have provided more resistance. Because uh, Van Heerden, he's in and out of boxing. You know what I'm saying? And he took a brutal beating against Spence, you know, Spence Spence team about five years ago. And he's been in and out of the sport. He's a huge uh, or popular guy out there in South Africa. So he's like a part-time boxer. So I don't know what this outside of just showcasing the talent that he has. He needs to me um, fight. Get that Delorme fight because Delorme is going to provide a little bit more resistance. I don't think Delorme will have the skills necessary to do anything with you in terms of being able to defeat you, but he will provide some type of resistance where um, he's going to be harder to take out. Also, after that, you might want to get somebody like a Hostacito Lopez, you know, fight somebody like that. But don't just jump from this because you're trying to call out these guys. I don't know what's going to happen if if one time touch that chin because we don't know. You haven't fought anybody like that. And Spence getting there doing what Spence does I don't you you can't how can you be ready for that when you fight these type of dudes that you're fighting? So I just would like for Boots to step up the opposition and then we can see actually where he is. I just, I know he can do that. Do do that. I know he can beat somebody like uh, Chris Van Heerden. Um and he's gonna look spectacular doing it. Just you know, increase the opposition and change that name. <laughs> you guys pretty much said what I was gonna say, and I was gonna talk about the the stepping up in competition also. Um, so, you know, all I really have to say other than what you guys said is just I just hope that um, – I, I would like to see him against that type of opposition as well that you referenced, Will. And, and um, I mean, it's clear that he's ready for the next level. I think he was calling out, uh, you know, some of the people that he may not be ready for yet. So I'm just hoping that uh, 
he could he he gets bought on bought along correctly because clearly he has a lot of talent. Uh, he has a personality to match, and so um, I hope to see him getting those those bigger fights. Hopefully in twenty twenty one. Now, Vel, I understand you saw the Emmanuel Rodriguez and yes, I, Gabalo I saw, fight. Uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez versus Raymar Gabalo. Um, it's it was interesting, um, especially considering the ending. If you don't know, it's considered the robbery of the the, the month. Um, you know, Raymar Gabalo he caused the upset. You know, a split decision uh, victory. You know, over Emmanuel Rodriguez, who was supposed to fight uh, Nanito Donaire. Uh, as you know, Donaire came down with the uh, COVID nineteen, and Bala was in there as a late replacement. It was interesting because normally late replacements are soft touches, and you know, got Bala, you know, uh, undefeated guy, you know, some power, and some pop, um, and we know that uh, Rodriguez was coming off his loss to to Anui. So coming in with a guy with some power, you know, that was especially uh, off short notice is a bold move on Rodriguez's part. So shout out to Mayor Rodriguez. But watching the fight, I thought that Cabello followed Rodriguez around uh, too much. Uh, they both pretty much fought at mid range. Um, Rodriguez was a tad sharper, and I think that was the difference. Um, the commentating was interesting because. Um, I remember at the, the start of round 12, uh, they said that Gambalo uh, needed to knock Rodriguez out to, to win and that he should be desperate and he has no chance. They were even saying that, I believe, in round 10. Um, and while I did have Rodriguez uh, winning, um, I don't think it was as, as dominant as uh, the, the commentator was trying to make it out to be. I think this was a case of the commentators, you know, trying to push Rodriguez as being dominant and, and getting that win. So I, I don't know what plans they had after that fight, but it was some interesting commentating. I wish I would have scored this fight um, given, you know, the controversy of it. You know, I, I watched it at first glance, but it, it definitely seemed closer than what the commentators were making it out to be. Um, Rodriguez was hitting Gabella with counters, but Gabella was uh, he was connecting on Rodriguez um, a lot of that fight, uh, but it was interesting. Um, shout out to both men; they fought their hearts out. It was a good fight to watch. Uh, it's kind of sad when you know fights happen that's deemed robberies because it takes away from you know um, the fact that both guys did put their you know heart on line in this fight. It was a decent scrap. Uh, but I do remember thinking last night, right after you know the twelfth round, that the scorecard is going to be a lot closer um, than the commentators were, you know, had it or they were making it out to be. And you know, I was pretty much correct. But it was a good fight. Moving right along, um, previously we talked about uh, a past fighter, this past is prime, and Sergio Martinez fighting. Um, but there's another light heavyweight. Um, he's still active though, you know, um, but it might be a little bit on the downside, but he has a fight coming up. Uh, and, and that guy is uh, Sergey Kovalev. Um, on January 30th, he has an upcoming fight with uh, Bechtimer uh, Melik Koziv. And I know I'm having trouble pronouncing his name, but looking at this guy's record, you know, he doesn't seem to be very experienced. Um, five KOs, 
so he has you know some pop. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm thrilled about it, but what do you guys uh, thoughts on this fight? <laughs> Shout out to you first of all for powering through that last name. I knew you had it in you. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things I, I I saw um, when kind of doing my basic research on him is uh, he is uh, he being Melikuziev is a 2016 Olympic silver medalist and a two-time world championship medalist. And so, um, like you said, he has five knockouts out of six fights, so he had definitely had some pop. Um, he fights at super middleweight at 168, and Kovalev, as we all know, fights at 175, but it's 178-pound catch weight, which I found to be interesting. But at any rate, um, so they have, they have him fighting Kovalev, and obviously Kovalev is a major step up in competition, but Kovalev is also 37. And he hasn't fought since his knockout loss to Canelo last November. So, if we're basing this off of pedigree, experience, so on and so forth, Kovalev should win this if it's if we're only basing it off of that and what we see. But Melikuziev is young, hungry, and he's looking to prove himself. And so, um, it's also worth noting that uh, he's stepping in for Sullivan Barrera, who Kovalev was supposed to fight in April, but he couldn't make it out to Russia. Um, so I'm not sure if that was a visa issue or a COVID issue, um, but he couldn't make it. And so here we have this guy. And you know what? Um, most of my predictions go for the shortest shot, but, you know, let's get, let's, let's get a little crazy here. I, I'm going to go, if we predict, I'm going to go Melikuziev, right? Mid-round knockout. I think he might surprise the old man. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> That that's me. That's no logic behind it at all. They're just straight gut. But why yeah, I have to look more into Melikuziev um, and how he fights. And I haven't done much research on him. But one thing is for sure, he's in a win-win situation. And I think what happens in this fight is probably going to play out more in the future than it does in the in the present. In the when it happens, and I say that because. Melikuziev could be that deal. Let's say he is that deal. If Kovalev is able to beat him and he becomes more in his career, that victory is going to look, you know, better over time. You know, similar to, you know, how uh, Floyd beat um, Canelo. That victory is looking very, very good over time. We don't know how Melikuziev is going to fare in the long term of his career. Uh, like you say, he's a silver medalist, so he has a you know Olympic pedigree, which is nothing to you know uh, look down upon. But at the same same time, he only had six fights. He's not experienced. He's getting put in there with Kovalev, and who knows? Kovalev could be at the end of his rope, and this could be it. And Melikuziev could be the one to put the nail in the coffin of Kovalev's career. Uh, I hope that happens, actually. Like you, Danny, I, I, I hope he stops Kovalev, you know, and this is uh, the new uh, better be or, or Bibble. He can be the new one, you know. Um, Kovalev had his time, you know. He he drank his career away. Um, He's done a lot of things that were so counterproductive to his career. He could have been more had he stayed healthy and uh, stayed mentally in the game. Um. But he didn't. It, it, it seems like after the loss to Andre Ward, even even after the, the first loss, it seems like Kovalev was 
couldn't really take it anymore, you know, and it's interesting to watch. But, you know, we'll see what this fight happens, what happens with this fight next month. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this topic. Um, we got Kovalev fighting as an uh, inexperienced guy. Like you said, he's a silver medalist. But if you see him, if you watch some of his fights, he is he's 5'10", and at 168, he's pudgy. So I just imagine what he's going to look like and come into the ring um, like on fight night against Kovalev. Kovalev has to be just washed up in order to lose to somebody like his opponent. So I, I can't see him being that washed up. Once the fight gets to about maybe fifth round, sixth round, I think the guy's going to tire out because he already isn't um, that experience that going many rounds. So, you know, just imagine – being in this big fight in Russia against the best fighter that you face so far, that that's going to wear him out. And he's already not really in the best shapes. He's a real pudgy guy. Like at 168, if you get a chance, check him out. I think that Kovalev will um, at some point stop his opponent. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It's, to me, it's just more so um, Sullivan Barrera couldn't make it. So they found somebody to entertain the people of Russia with, you know, for Kovalev. It's like a homecoming um, ordeal. But anyway, like I said, enough of that match right there. The next topic that we're going to get off into, we got a, another fight that was confirmed. And so this is going to be slated for January 30th. It's Caleb Plant versus Caleb Truex. How do you guys see that fight playing out? It's interesting because this fight was talked about maybe a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago. And I think it's kind of past the expiration date. But I will say, whoever wins this fight, get rights to the name Caleb. <laughs> whoever loses this fight, they should be called something else. This is the battle, battle of the Caleb's. Now, how I see this going, playing out, I think Caleb Plant, you know, has too much skill, uh, too much um, poise or for, for Caleb Truex. And I, th I believe eventually he's going to, you know, I, I say Plant is going to win by stoppage. Um, it's, it's not much to say about this fight. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be an exciting fight, you know, but I don't think Truex has enough for Killer Plant at this point. No, he doesn't. Again, this is another fight that, that's made, you know, you got to stay busy. And so I think it's just a stay busy fight for Caleb Plant. He'll either win by stoppage or it's going to be a wide margin victory. And he'll move on, you know, to bigger and better things. But it's just a stay busy fight. Yeah, at 37 years old, uh, Truex is 31 and four. Uh, his last big win was that shocker against James DeGale in December 2017. You have uh, Plant, who's 20 and 0. Plant holds the IBF title. Uh, he last fought in February, and yeah, I mean. I don't want to spend too much time on this one either. So I, I would see it either a wide margin or, or a stoppage as well. Um, a fight that was also proposed in February. Uh, you have Luis Ortiz in the heavyweight division versus Dillian White. Now, if you guys recall, Dillian White was supposed to rematch Povetkin after being knocked out cold in the fifth round. But Povetkin tested top positive for coronavirus. And so... It's looking like this will be so the next fight. So finally accepted or he's out. calling out Luis Ortiz. This tells me one significant thing. 
Obviously, White hasn't fully recovered from getting knocked out by Povetkin. <laughs> Ortiz, to me, is just a better, you know, all-around fighter than Dillian White. You know, at some point, other if they fight, I think that he would stop White. Like I say, he's just in every category, you know, just an all-around better fighter. And in the past, White has been finding different ways to duck and dodge Luis Ortiz. The only chance that I would give White if he's able to take some PEDs or some performance hands and drugs, um, as we all know he's known to do. But without that, I would say I would predict Ortiz by, let's say, seventh round stoppage. Yeah, I, I think for some reason people maybe still underrate Ortiz at this stage in his career. Um, he is older, but he's still very much a top five heavyweight easily. So whereas physically, White has had more time to recover from the knockout. Um, mentally, yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to end well for him. I think he's definitely biting on more than he can chew. Um, I, I had it predicted for a middle round stoppage, but since we're putting out uh, numbers, I'm going to go six round. Yeah, this is an interesting fight. Um, you got Louis Ortiz, uh, 32 and 2. 27, 27 KOs, knockout record. You have Deleon White, 27 and 2, uh, with 18 KOs. But, you know, behind those numbers, I think uh, Louis Ortiz is, you know, a lot, way more experienced. Um, he fought better competition. Uh, he's been in it, even though he didn't win the, uh, the Wilder fight, he's been in the ring with Deontay Wilder. Uh, and actually, he was doing well in both fights before he was knocked out. Um, he's he's beaten uh, Brian Jennings and and you know uh, Malik Scott, uh, guys who are not great but you know decent, you know wins on his on his resume. Um, I think Louis Ortiz is, is too skilled for Deleon White. Um, I know he's gonna stop him. Not sure if it's gonna be necessarily a mid round stoppage. I'll say mid to late round stoppage. The only inter- the only thing that's uh, interesting about Louis Ortiz is, you know, he's 41 years old, which is older than I am. And I look at myself and I'm, I'm feeling like arthritis in my knees and stuff like that. So hopefully Louis Ortiz takes great care of himself. Because uh, I've heard, also heard rumors that he might even be older than that. So <laughs> that's the only thing that could work against him because father time, we don't know when that's going to just creep up on him. But uh, Dillian White, um, as, as they say, anything happened in the heavyweight division, so I'm not going to totally count him out. But I think Louis Ortiz is possibly too much for him. Um, and both guys been been can be KO, but for guys been stopped. But I think Louis Ortiz has been stopped by the stronger puncher. <laughs> uh, and side conversation, uh, I guess one of these guys must be done since they've been knocked out. <laughs> Oh, no, but it's different. It's different because they bring a different set of skills to the table. Ortiz, he still fought. You've seen him fight after the Wilder fight, one. And two, two, he he has popped himself. You know, he's not just a volume puncher, whereas Santa Cruz is a volume puncher and who doesn't really hit that hard, and he gets hit a lot. So if you just took a devastating knockout against Tank Davis, then – and you start fighting other guys who are going to touch you up too, especially those upper echelon fighters in this division, 
I don't see that working out well for Leo Santa Cruz. I don't. And um, Ortiz also is just a better fighter than Dillian White, you know, skill wise. He's probably you remember at one point they were saying Luis Ortiz was probably the most skillful big man in boxing. Like they were, so and or uh, Leo Santa Cruz isn't the most skillful fighter in his weight class. So it's, it's, it's differences, you know, and, and that's the reason why I think he can overcome a devastating knockout more so than a guy like Leo Santa Cruz. Cool. We saw our right. conversations yesterday. We had <laughs> cut that we out. We cut it out. I'm just letting people know that I was saying that Santa Cruz is done. Put a fork in him, especially the line <laughs> guy. So, and what you were saying is that he was done because of what the comments that I made about Santa Cruz. And I was just explaining to you that it's a little bit different right. in terms of the outcomes for both guys. And and I agree with the the, the parts of you know Louis Ortiz being skilled. My point about Santa Cruz is maybe he is done, but just like Louis Ortiz proved, you know, let's let's see him in his next fight. Let's see what he does. You know, maybe he takes some PEDs. Who knows? <laughs> maybe he start lifting some weights. Who knows? Well, what he would have to do is have a total style adjustment, and that's tough to do when you like third in your mid, early mid thirties. You've been fighting a certain way for so long. That's very difficult to do. You're trying to learn on the job. And then a lot of times you just resort back to the fighter that you, you know, just basic instincts. That's just real difficult to do for Leo. Like I say, especially after a devastating KO like that. And you see in his heart, he's a fighter at heart. He just wants to rumble with you and, and, and fight. He's even saying he won't tank again. Yeah, he won't tank again. I'm like, don't do it. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying, man. You know, hopefully, again, I'm wrong. I just, I don't see a good for Leo just based on I hope that he finds some fighters that he can face where he can still you know generate some revenue make some you know good paydays and then you know live happily ever after that's how it works out for him all right sorry Gary Russell provide for financial stability for my family I'm all for fighters providing financial stability for their family now on the same uh, subject of the heavyweights you know we have the, the Top heavyweights today. There, um, we have, of course, Tyson Fury. Uh, we have uh, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, and Louis Ortiz. Um, and then, on a side note, as far as you know, number five and six is you know Alexander Povetkin and and uh, Usyk. Regardless of how you have them, you know, ranked. Um, so there's an interesting, you know, heavyweight lineup. But one fight that hasn't happened that should have happened, you know, Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder, the battle of the giants, the battle of the, the you know, the gladiators. Uh, so what do you guys see happening in this fight? I just want to say it's a shame that, you know, the viewing public was robbed of this fight when back when it was at its height um, of its popularity. But, um, you know, all we have is a present, right? And so if I were to go out both fighters, you know, AJ is still more or less the same fighter from what I've seen, you know, how he looked against Pulev. He, he's still the same fighter more or less um, that he would have been during that time for the most part. Um, Wilder is still, you, you still can't discount what he brings to the table in terms of his power. Um the the baddest right hand in the game for sure, and so uh, when I envision those two 
fighting, I can't help but to see a Wilder knockout. Isn't Wilder knocking AJ out? Probably in the later round. Um, I do think that obviously as a technical on the technical boxing standpoint, I would give the edge to AJ. But in terms of who can take the punch and get back up, or not who could take a punch, but who could take each other's punch and get back up. Um, Phil, let me go. Next. I would go uh, Deontay Wilder yeah, with this ahead. one, the bronze bomber. And like you said, Danny, uh, this fight should have took place much sooner. They could have had this fight after Joshua beat Charles Martin for the IBF title. They were like on a collision course. It seemed like the fight was going to take place probably less than a year time from after that victory over Charles Martin. And then later on, they were on another collision course to a certain degree because Wilder was pushing for the fight. AJ was asking for a certain amount of money. He said, if you pay me 50 million, then, you know, I'll fight Wilder. You know, I'll sign a contract the next day or something like that. They, Shelly Finkel and Wilder, they came up with the $50 million and AJ turned that down. So with that right there, that tells me that AJ isn't confident against or has the confidence to beat Wilder. I think that if they do end up fighting, that AJ will be extremely timid in a fight against Wilder. The same is the same way he fought Ruiz in their second fight. I think psychologically that right hand to AJ took that right hand like it's a Goliath. You understand what I'm saying? He even though that's like one of the most devastating punches in boxing, he even looks at it, you know. So AJ has a problem with somebody touching, you know, his legs do something funny. And that's just against like your regular everyday average punchers. But then just imagine Wilder landing something significant. And I think that he would at some point in a fight. As soon as Wilder lands something significant, it's going to be uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Jack and the Beanstalk, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's going to be bear time, night, night, put him to sleep. So at some point, Wilder would touch him and then it'd be good night, Irene. Yeah, as you guys said, this fight should have happened two, three years ago. It's interesting because long time ago before this podcast, we had conversations on this fight and it never happened. And it's it's funny because uh, at that time, I thought Joshua could possibly beat Wilder. Knowing what I know today, um, I favor more so a Wilder would knock out, just like you guys said. Anthony Joshua is, is technically, you know, his fundamentals is a lot better than Wilder. Um, but I think Wilder does have the, the stronger wheel and stronger stronger chin. Even even if he can be stopped, he has the, the stronger will to to uh, survive when hurt. Which when Joshua gets hurt, he has these bad reactions. I don't think mentally he's as that tough. Um, but it's an interesting fight. I think the funny thing I think will ha- that pot will, will happen in this fight. Is Joshua will probably be winning this fight and even probably dominating the fight until he just gets caught. It's like Wilder's going to catch him eventually and put him to sleep. But also, I think the interesting thing is there is a window for Joshua to win this fight. He he just has to do what he needs to do mentally. Um, what he'll have to do, his window to win this fight is probably within the, the first two to three rounds. If he can, if he's able to 
push Wilder back and make Wilder have to have to fight off the ropes and you know uh, keep Wilder within a range, which is pretty much up close, and and, and force Wilder to have to uh, smuggle his punches. Wilder is always going to have trouble getting off that right hand shot. Pretty much do what Fury did, except that you know, of course you know uh, Joshua doesn't necessarily fight like that. But if he wants to win a fight, he has to pretty much uh, fight like George Foreman and pretty much back uh, Wilder up. Um, we've seen Wilder with, with you know major deficiencies, you know when he's uh, up against the ropes, and you know he's easy to. Well, if you're able and strong enough and have the the the, the fearless enough to back him up, we see he can be uh, you know ineffective, and you can see the flaws. In a way, he boxes. But that said, Joshua doesn't seem mentally to be that guy. Physically, he has tools that can make that work, but mentally, he's just not in it. And I, I think eventually, Wilder is, is going to uh, crack him, and that'll be it. I just want to say shout out to AJ, though, man. And nothing against you, AJ. I saw uh, um, he's he's a, he's a cool guy. Like he really is. He does a series, or he, he comes on this this network. I, you know, I watch TV. Sometimes I watch the UK network. And I see him on this show with this one comedian in, um, in the UK. And it's a really funny show. They just, he's, a, he's a charming dude. You know, he's a cool guy. But at the end of the day, you know, when it's all said and done, I just don't think that's with the Bronx Bomber, bro. Anything else you guys have before we wrap it up? Yeah, I don't know what the allure is with, with, with AJ and why the ladies love him, man. It's like LLAJ, you know, LL Cool J. Yeah, hey, man, you sound like you're hating on him now. <laughs> I, I am, man. I'm hating on him, dude. That's my guy, but still, man. Come on. Let him know. He's like the new, he's like new Ryan Garcia. So. Nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, what, what you got going on in that ring? You know what I'm saying? But shout out to AJ. Shout out to AJ. Shout out to AJ. AJ is nice, though. I think that if, if I were AJ, what I would consider doing is coming over and working in the crunk or working in some of the gyms over here and getting some of that work. You know what I mean? But you you around 31 years old, so I don't know how that um it, it couldn't do nothing but help you. Like Lennox Lewis, when he came over here and was in the crunch and it kind of like crafted him into something even more spectacular than what he was before he started doing that. You know, it kind of molded him into who he became. So AJ, consider that, man, if you want to be, you know, one of the elite of the elites. Yeah, I agree. And and lastly, you know, that's a great promotion, you know, for my city, Detroit, the crunch gym. If you, if you want to rebuild your career and want to, you know, tough yourself up, come to Crunk Jam. And Sugar Hill can send me some, you know, some money for his promotion. Anything else you guys want to touch on? Um, all I'll say is uh, definitely, you said it earlier, but I just want to reiterate to definitely follow the Twitter account. It's uh, his last one's at the bar, but there's only one T because it was too many characters. But um, we actually called the Canelo fight uh, round by round on that account and we'll be doing that moving forward with uh so we'll, we'll be having some round by round commentary and so um yeah just go ahead and get that kind of follow yeah follow follow us on instagram um we even got the the facebook group uh coming soon um last one's at the bar uh, i appreciate all our uh, listeners and fans supporters you know and, and the other thing too um well first and foremost let me shout out a couple boxing groups that i'm a part of Die Hard Boxing, shout out to you, Boxing Knowledge, Filipino Boxing Enthusiasts, and even you guys over there at the UK, 
um, boxing. You know, there's some sensitive guys over there. You know what I mean? They kick you out of groups. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's all good. It's all love. Also, like Danny said, make sure that you you keep abreast of what we got going on on social media. And as I said earlier, take a look at us on YouTube by searching last ones at the bar. Make sure that you hit the like button, subscribe button. Last thing that I want to say is Merry Christmas. If you celebrate that sort of thing and then also check us out next week, we got something real special for you.